That gummit. Hey, I can't believe you did that. You said wait for tomorrow, and I, I wondered what you had up your sleeve. I was a little disappointed in our first segment, but I see now that you have come 180 playing <laughs> the most wretched fight song. My ears are bleeding mm, right yeah. now listening that to that. Okay. But welcome back to the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Keep those texts coming, guys. Listen, if anything, it makes it entertaining. I b- big up a game that I think my Deeks are going to win or whatever the case or one of us thinks our team is going to win a big game and when it doesn't happen, listen, we know you guys are going to tune in. Not to say that's why I did it. I was about to say. But just saying, that adds to the juice of the show. It's for the people. West, that's right. West, no, I, West I, I, felt, really I felt in my convictions that weight could be a problem and present issues uh, for the Tar Heels. But like I said, defensively, they came out and got the job done. So let's get it cracking. Let's go to the campus. Kona. Listen, we ain't hanging at the corner today. We in the dorm. Or they need to be in the practice practice facility right now. But North Carolina, 9-0 at home this season, 8-0 for the first time in ACC play since 2015-2016. They took out my Demon Deacons, 85-64. Carolina's seventh straight ACC win by double digits, the most since winning 10 straight ACC games by 10 or more points in 1992-93. They're doing some historic stuff in Chapel Hill. Wake Forest shot 35.6% from the floor, including 26.7%. In the second half, they've held opponents under 40% in 23 of 38 halves and 10 of 19 games this season. R.J. Davis dropped 36. Once he hit that three and started talking to the crowd, I said, oh, man. I was like, here we go. Uh, Elliot Cadeau made a season-high seven field goals, scored 14 points. That's an ACC season-high for him. Carolina is 165-69 and 69 now against Wake Forest, which equals the most wins by UNC against any opponent in their history, man. So I'll just take you through first half. I thought, hey, they're up one. They haven't been shooting a three ball good. I was like, Wake is in pretty good shape, man. This one should go down to the wire. I didn't think the game was in the bag, but it's kind of like Alabama in football. It was like a python, okay? Carolina started wrapping themselves around us, and then every time we tried to breathe, it just got tighter. (laughs) It just got tighter and tighter. And when they got up about 7 to 10 points, I was like, oh, boy, I don't know uh, how they're going to pull this thing out. But like I said, I just think, Wake, the ball gets sticky uh, with too many guys, and that's one of the issues I feel like that they have as far as having five really good players in that starting lineup. But everybody's taking turns. And this Carolina team defensively, I mean, when you got a young freshman that's a hot shot like Elliot Cadeau out there playing the type of defense he plays, you know you got a strong defensive unit. Uh, and so I, I thought it was very impressive the way they came out and played. To be frank, I don't know when they're going to take a loss in the ACC uh, with the way that they play, man. All right, so there are three things that I noticed about Wake Forest in this game, okay? You're right. You have been frustrated about their lack of moving the basketball. How about three assists for them last night? Unacceptable, man. (laughs) Three assists, okay? So not moving the ball well enough. There's something. There's one. The second half let down again after Steve Forbes laid into the Demon Deacons, having a terrible last 20 minutes against NC State that allowed the Wolfpack to come back and then beat them. Mm-hmm. Here is another last 20 minutes where Wake just doesn't show up. And then I even think defense altogether. Yes, specifically in the second half, but you guys let Cadeau get to the rim whenever he wanted. And it's not even like there are contested shots at the rim. Wes, how many open layups did you watch Cadeau hit last night? 
Did you watch R.J. Davis hit? If Harrison Ingram was in there, he kept giving, uh, what was it? Uh, he kept giving Hildreth the small celebration. Just you give him the basketball in the post, there's zero help. So Ingram, he just banks it in over the left shoulder, cake, small celebration. Yeah. Over the left shoulder, cake, small celebration. They couldn't stop him at all, and Carolina caught fire while also helping out their defense by limiting Wake Forest to just 30 points in the second, 34 in the first. Yeah, this North Carolina team is for real, and Wake needs to get it together if they really want to make a run where you don't have to be a team scared of the bubble at the end of the season for this NCAA tournament. Yeah, man, and so Wake, you know, their schedule, they've got some games coming up to where you feel like they should win it before they got two with Duke in a four-game span. Uh, but that road record, it's got to improve if they have any types of aspirations for postseason play. One and four on the road just is not going to get it done. Uh, going to the text line really quick, Big Chris, uh, you want me to acknowledge your text for what? Okay, you're talking about you're showing who the daddy is for life and all that mess. <laughs> Ain't nobody doing all that. All right, but Fitty, the floor is yours to talk about the game. How do you feel about your Tar Heels after that performance last night? You know, I think it was back maybe late December, maybe earlier January. Me and Walker had a conversation, and I had a little bit of spunk because I had a feeling we had a really, really good team this year. I didn't see 8-0 coming. I didn't see this team being third-best team in the country, maybe the second-best team in the country behind UConn. Um, the there, there's no there's no disrespect when I say this when it comes to Wake Forest. There's just there's just a gap between us. There's a level that Carolina can get at on both ends of the court that Steve Forbes cannot get his kids to play at. And for as bad as Carolina played in the first half to be down one at halftime was not concerned. Had y'all built a seven, eight point lead, I would have been like, Maybe maybe Wake Forest has more confidence. And maybe when Monsanto hit those back-to-back threes and he started talking as if he was God's gift of basketball, maybe he <laughs> felt like they had something. But um, R.J. Davis last night probably wrapped up ACC Player of the Year, um, put his name in the running for National Player of the Year. And every time I watch this team, I come away impressed. And I don't know how, if you watch them, you don't think this is a bona fide, legitimate threat to win a national championship. Yeah, as we said, R.J. Davis had 36 points, a career high, the most by a Tar Heel since Bryce Johnson had 39 at Florida State on January 4th of 2016. Let's hear from Hubert Davis talking about R.J. and how great he was in this game. The way that Wake was playing us defensively, um, he was able to get to that mid-range, that floater. That's a shot that he's worked on a lot throughout his career. Feels really comfortable, and he was able to hit that. And then that set up, you know, his ability to be able to shoot the ball from three. And um, he was in a great rhythm tonight. He's been in a great rhythm all season. It was the first time as a player and as a coach that I can remember uh, the, the Smith Center crowd chanting a player's name. And... I'm just really proud of him. I, I think, you know, he's had a, a terrific career, but I, I feel like this year he's finally getting noticed. And I'm just really happy for him. All right, and then let's hear from R.J. Davis, too. He says that he feels like that he is in a zone. I'm in a zone. I mean, I feel like... I'm in my backyard, just out there, get, 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 just trying things out. Oh, wow. um, and I mean, think I think it's like a a zone <laughs> that every hooper knows. Like when you're just in that zone, it's hard to get out of, and you know, nothing like you can hear, you can't hear anything. Um, you just see the ball in the basket, and I mean, that's not the type of zone I was in tonight. 
All right, so let's talk about it. What does this win say about the Hills? And when you look at this schedule for the rest of the season, I mean, can they run the ACC table? Where would the loss come from? I mean, we know that there's Duke on the schedule, but it just seems like that they're so strong right now that it would take a Herculean effort to deliver them a loss. I don't think they're going to run the table. That's going to be way too hard. I know it's I know it's like they're going to be the favorite in every single game, but to win every single game from here on out, that's not even something that the best Carolina teams have done in my lifetime. After they go 0-2 in the ACC, we can go back to that 0-9 championship team. You know, we're at least, what, talking about seven lost squads in North Carolina history that would go on to compete for a championship or get to the Final Four, some of the best regular season finishes that we've seen. I do have to imagine that one or two losses is going to be coming to them. You do have Duke. You do got to go to Cameron Indoor. You do have to play them twice this year. You have a couple of road games coming up for you now at Florida State, at Georgia Tech. Yep. You're saying they're under the table, Fitty? No. Oh, okay. So what do you, so 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 Fitty, when you look at that schedule, I mean, where could you see a potential loss or losses coming from? Saturday. At at Florida State, I think is a very losable game. Leonard Hamilton has turned that team around. They've won, I think, five of their last seven. They were up 14 on Carolina in the Smith Center before they turned that thing around and you know, I know I talked about how hard it was to go to Boston College and win a game. Yep, because I'm about to call you out again. Going to the Tucker Center is no easy task. Right. I've seen an ACC regular season team go there and get <laughs> blasted by 33. Um, that place is going to be sold out because Carolina sells out gyms all across the ACC. That, that, that one is losable. Um, I'm not going to mock Duke for losing to Georgia Tech on the road because it's not a easy place to go on the road oh. and win. Can I, can I ask you this? Oh, my God. Can I ask yeah. you, what is an easy place <laughs> to go on the road in the ACC? NC State, Wake Forest. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right, so apparently Florida State and Georgia Tech have turned into Cameron 2.0 and Rupp Arena. Uh, when, Wake, when Wake played at Florida State, I caught hell for that, and Florida State wasn't that good. Now, when I tried to say that Wake lost to a team that's up in the mix at the top of the conference and is having a resurgence, now all of a sudden they're a tough team and, man, Carolina's going to have to go in there and give an A effort and it's going to be a hard place to play. Man, I tell you, the contradictions never stop uh, with this guy. It just never does. Wes, I I love you, my man. You've been around. Uh You've been around the block, literally. Yes. You know that teams don't get up to play the black and gold the way they get to play the baby blue. Right. This is true. There's no question about that, but. It's just what it is. I mean, look. 16 and 4, I think, is a legitimate, like, that's probably on the I table. I don't see four losses for Carolina and ACC. I'm sorry. It's, it's I don't just, see it. No, that's. I see in two the at ACC, the most. I see two at the most. Yeah, it seems a little a little high. It, this is the last point I wanted to make about North Carolina. It's a point I've made, but all they do is continue to separate themselves in the second half. Somebody texted in saying North Carolina will crumble, as they always do. Well, all right. As they always do is is interesting. Two, Maybe two, you just two years they played right, for a national championship. Right. They always crumble. Right. Maybe you want to even if we let's try to make that statement make sense and just apply it to last year because that was true last year. They did always crumble last season. This year it is the exact opposite. They do not crumble at all. In fact, it's a close game, and then North Carolina separates themselves. I mean, when we talk about some of these double digit victories that they've had, uh, not some, all of them. All of their victories are by double digits. 
it's not like they're not close enough games. Boston College, close enough game, even late in that second half. Louisville, hung around a little too long for my end. I know Fitty's liking because I heard him cursing over at Graham Street Pub in that watch party. <laughs> Syracuse, that game was over when it started. NC State, they had a pretty nice stranglehold on them. But even Pittsburgh, when you started ACC play, Pittsburgh was a little bit of a close game before they separated themselves. It, it, I'm never going to question this team's effort. They thrive off of it being close. And then Harrison Ingram, he goes into crazy mode where he's going to go grab eight rebounds in 13 minutes worth of time. And R.J. Davis is going to go into crazy mode because he's not going to be broken. Cadeau figuring this thing out. That's the big old X factor, man. The fact that he's starting to figure it out how to play with everybody. He's got a few games under his belt. He looks really good defensively, as you mentioned. You can't set a screen on this guy. He's going to snake his way in Ooh, front I like of the, the screen. Move that you did. And then People can't see it. And then make sure he's in front of you. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I told you a long time ago. Loved the buildup of this team. Once Hubert Davis started adding some transfers, I was really excited about what the squad could do. And they're a championship contender. Yeah, all right. So, like you said, Saturday. North Carolina travels to Florida State. That's a 2 o'clock game. I imagine that's probably going to be on CW with that weird 2 o'clock start time. No, it's an ESPN vehicle. Okay, all right, ESPN vehicle. All right, bet. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk more about Dan Morgan and his promotion to the general manager position on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Free to text in on the text line 704-570-9610. It's Wes and Walker here with you until three o'clock. Nikias Duncan gonna be joining us at 220 to break more uh down about this Terry Rogier to the Miami Heat trade. You can see Nikias work on uh, the JJ Reddick podcast every single week. Also the Dunker Spot Pod with Steve Jones too. Nikias is one of the best at breaking down basketball. Also joins Zach Lowe pretty frequently. So pretty excited to have him on at 220 to break more down about the Terry Rozier trade. Uh, here's what we can get to on the text line. When I was talking about Terry Rozier, 704 said, loving this eulogy, Walker. Patrick Storr said, good Lord, is Walker about to cry? I, <laughs> I responded back and I said, yeah, I'm tearing up a little bit. And even Kyle said he was. So I don't know if that's because of me or if Kyle just wants to see good basketball and he won't see it without Terry either. I'm not sure, but even KB is telling you, yeah, that he just might cry as well. Uh, Chuck T., Got a few people writing about North Carolina. He said, bump that, man. We run to the table. We're not losing any games. He thinks North Carolina is. He's more on your line of thinking, Wes, about not having many ACC losses, like maybe none for North Carolina. Yeah, man. I, I, you know, when you just look at what it will take to beat them and just uh, how uncomfortable they make the game defensively for teams, I don't know how many teams have the scoring prowess because, like I said, I mean, you heard Seth Greenberg repeat it again at halftime that they have the most talented uh, starting five in the league when you talk about offensively. And so Wake has five guys that can score at the drop of a dime. And so what other team in the ACC really can say that? Maybe Duke can lay claim to that, but uh, maybe Miami has multiple guys that can score the basketball as well. And obviously it's the ACC. These guys get scholarships too. So somebody can rise up and give them their first loss or their second. But I don't see them losing. I would say max for me three losses, and that's pushing it. Yeah, they're not going to be the underdog anywhere, and so it's hard, right? Like you can expect them to just because it makes sense 
to say, ah, they'll lose a few, they'll lose a couple, but they're not going to be the underdog. And so it's always hard. If you pick against North Carolina, you're always picking the minority outcome. Yeah. And that's tough to get on board with. Final thing, Casey Steve said, ah, listen to Walker breaking out his UNC fandom finally. I said, yeah, I'm out in front running, baby. North Carolina's really good again, and I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I can't help it. It's what Fitty likes, though. Mm. Fitty, Fitty used to say, you used to be a Carolina fan. Like, when he really wants to hurt me, I know. that's what he used to do. And it doesn't phase me just because it's hard, right? Like, when you're not as invested as you used to be. I used to be the one that was being the nerd, printing out pictures of Carolina basketball players and hanging them on my wall. Not anymore. Maybe that would be a little weird at 30. <laughs> Sharing my bedroom with a woman now probably isn't yeah. necessarily thrilled to have those players yeah, on the wall she anymore. She probably wouldn't want that. Either. No, she probably wouldn't. But every once in a while, that fandom will peek out. And that's why I'm excited about this team. They're good. And they fit so well. Look, as as a guy that loves hoops, like you and I, you know, we're, we're, we're two hoop heads. It's okay to come back to your roots, man. Oh, no, I, I'm embracing them. And it's okay to, to, wear, to wear your Carolina gear and enjoy good basketball, enjoy winning basketball, talk about winning basketball. Because you damn sure don't do it when you talk about the Hornets. You haven't done it in the last four years. You're not going to do it in the next year. So just, I just come did it on yet. back home, baby. I actually just did it today. I don't know if you saw this. The Hornets beat the Minnesota Timberwolves last night. They did. I'm talking winning basketball after they beat the number one team in the Western Conference. Thank you very much, Fiddy. Oh, I'm sorry. Cat, you want to go for 60? Too bad you can do it in a loss. Take that <laughs> L along with your 62. God, you. I love that Cat lost that game. I really do. And I love that they lost because Cat was shot hunting so much. I, it contributed. It's this weird thing that happens when they go with a small ball five lineup. With PJ starting and just getting roasted, make your PJ jokes, that's fine. Mm. You can't really defend Rudy Gobert and Cat. It's the only time where soft Carl Anthony Towns, who's been criticized for being soft so long, he's the one that actually drives to the rim and is actually hurting the Charlotte Hornets small ball five. I saw Fiddy look at it. What you got? I see you panicking. What do you have for us? All right. The text line alerted me to this, but per Mike K, Samir Suleiman, who served as the Panthers' VP a football administration and led the charge on contract negotiations. He's no longer with the organization per a team spokesperson. Mm. So this is what I wanted to know. Oh, GM Dan Morgan. All right. We can talk more about the Hornets highly impressive win over Minnesota oh and then had 62 points uh, a little bit later on, but we will allow the breaking news to transition us into the Panthers decision to hire Dan Morgan as the general manager and president of football operations. So we saw this uh, reported yesterday. We heard about Dan Morgan, Adrian Wilson, Cole Spencer, all being involved in the hiring process, Wes. And we asked, what does this mean for Samir Suleiman? Haven't heard him at all. When they're bringing in some of these capologists, the money guys like Alec Hallaby for Philadelphia, where does this leave Samir Suleiman in all of it? Now we know that he's not going to be with the team. My first thought, whether it's right or wrong, my first thought is, to go to the long-lasting contract negotiation between the Panthers and one of their star players, and that's Brian Burns. Because if Samir Suleiman is running the cap stuff, then does that mean that he was the driving force on being so far away from what Brian Burns was asking for? Remember, it was reported that Brian was seeking something with a three at the beginning of it, and the Panthers were like around the $23, $24 million range. And that's too big of a gap. For Brian Burns to come back down to that, and that's why we were trying to figure out if there was any compromise. 
any takeaways from you to see the capologist, the guy that is celebrated as being smart with the numbers and the money, no longer be with this team? Yeah, I mean, so that means they're either, you know, trying to, I guess, quote unquote, clean house in that way to where they're going to get him out of there and bring in a different capologist, maybe a guy that is going to get some of these deals done. Or it's just going to be Dan Morgan's show to be able to do what he needs to do. But we know that we've heard that they're going to more than likely pair capologists with Dan Morgan. So I would think they just want to get rid of Suleiman and bring in somebody new. Uh, I guess someone with some fresh ideas, a fresh way to look at things, because perhaps he wasn't budging uh, on some of these guys. And you talk about Brian Burns, maybe he wasn't budging on where he felt like that his value was. And then maybe Tepper was like, well, I'll, I'll get somebody in here who will and still be able to get our salary cap in the right place. Well, and Suleiman also has a little bit of personnel background. Like he evaluates talent and at least has some part in the scouting department or at least shares his opinions there and was rumored to be a pretty tough negotiator. And that's why I go to the Brian Burns contract negotiation where there wasn't a lot of budge on the Panthers front. And that's how you get to a point where you don't have an agreement. And it looks like the franchise tag just might be used on Brian Burns. Or now that you have Dan Morgan, a former player, at the front, you bring in somebody that is good with money, whatever name that might be. Now, do you have enough change? Even if people are frustrated with the lack of change, having promoted Dan Morgan to that top spot, is there going to be enough of a change to where you can see some wiggle room trying to keep one of your better edge rushers that you've had and certainly your best edge rusher on the team here for the last five years. Marty Herney for Capologist. Who says no? Yeah, nah. I think you've gone in that well too many times. Stopped us dead in our tracks. Yeah. So to allow people to understand what happens behind the curtains, I'll look at Fiddy and see if he has something to say, and then he'll give me a, a yes or a no sign. And so we stopped all of that for him to ask us about Marty Herney. Right. Third go around. <laughs> <laughs> I'll t- Here's what Marty can do. Marty can come by, and he can select whoever in the first round, and then maybe you allow Dan Morgan to do whatever out after that. I got no love. Draft GM. Hey, but listen, this is somebody that has nothing but love for Marty. That guy gave me my first job ever in this industry, okay? Marty is a really, like, crazy nice guy and is very aware of some of the problems that he made with the Panthers organization. I got nothing but love for that guy. And also, you know, a little bit of a Marty Herney apologist for what happened with Carolina. Hey, look, that would be some outside-the-box, some forward-thinking moves to have two different GMs making picks during the NFL draft. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? First-round pick for Marty. And then Dan Morgan. See what he can do a second, third, fourth, fifth. And then Dave Tepper has a seventh-round pick. Yeah, have to have to give him something. <laughs> You're right. No, that's true. David Tepper does have to get something. So no longer do you keep Samir Suleiman in-house. Dan Morgan is the guy that you promote. We'll see how he fills out the staff, if they're going to be outside names, or if you just continue to see people promoted. Does Dan Morgan's in-house promotion bode well for Ajero Averro? Does that have any bearing on him being promoted from D.C. to head coach? Or do you think that's completely separate and they're going to go after one of these other offensive names? Uh, Yeah, I think it's going to be another offensive name, but it just depends. I mean, his opinion, I would imagine, is going to matter a lot because he's the general manager. So if he has a great relationship with the Giro uh, and wants to bring him on as the head coach, then perhaps that could be a possibility. I think he will hold a lot of weight with Tepper as far as his – relationships with those guys and and what he thinks. And so, uh, which we'll get to in a second, but he was working with Dave Canales in Seattle and they have a pretty good relationship too. So I would think that that could only help his candidacy.
I do wonder what this does for players. The fact that Dan Morgan was a player here, right? Like it, it doesn't mean that oh, he's just going to give everybody all the money that they want. That would insult his intelligence. That would insult the time that he's put in to get to this point because he has been in that part of football operations for a while. We're talking 2010. It's a long time. Getting your start with Seattle. Then you're talking about two pretty decent franchises too. Seattle, you're there in their heyday where Russell Wilson comes aboard, Legion of Boom. They're going to a couple Super Bowl appearances. One of the best teams in the uh, NFC. Okay. So then you move on to Buffalo and you go there with Brandon Bean and while Bean has taken a little heat for talent evaluation, some bad drafts the last few years, I you see you see Buffalo at least make that jump from never getting to the playoffs to getting there with Tyrod Taylor as your starting QB, but then getting bounced. And now anything short of a Super Bowl, we're asking if you're going to fire the head coach. Yeah, that's the kind of expectations they have now. So Dan Morgan put the time in, and I do like the idea of somebody. Understanding the business side, but also being a player, Wes. Doing the whole former player thing yourself. Maybe not in the NFL, but that's because you were too good. Jerry Jones gave you a contract. You said, no, I want to live a normal life. I just want to be a little bit of a celebrity here in the Queen City. I don't want to play in Dallas. Would you have liked that? dynamic of a former player being a general manager if you were a player on the roster too um yeah it just depends on how i felt about the guy and i would think dan morgan's probably beloved by most of the guys that play with him most of the guys that know him i'm sure have high opinions of him you stated what julius pepper said about him and how he feels and obviously they feel like he do a great job but they like him as well and they had good relationships with him and uh so i think that that is very important because He's going to be pro player for the most part, uh, but Dan Morgan's still tough and hard-nosed as he was as a player, so I would imagine he's not going to be too much of a, of, of a friend to the players. But I think that, uh, you know, it is pretty cool to see that, and I think I would like that because I would feel like that he could understand uh, the position that guys are in when you're getting ready to make a decision on cuts or making a decision on a guy on the roster. Um, but also, too, you would trust his – evaluation of players because he's been in that and he was a really good player and that doesn't always mean that he's going to be the best at the job but at least the credibility is there to where you're like all right you know i know this guy i know what type of player he was i think i know what type of player he'd be looking for i think he's going to help us here's something interesting you know who came in at the same time to the seattle organization as dan morgan dave canales dave canales Mm -hmm. 2010 2010 Dan Morgan started out as a scouting intern for Seattle and Dave Canales started as an offensive quality control coach. Canales was in Seattle from 2010 to 2022. And we know that Dan Morgan would eventually leave for Buffalo in 2018. But now that that same guy that went into a franchise alongside one of the guys that could be the next head coach here, do you think that says anything about who has the inside track? Is there enough of a connection there to where maybe Dave Canales should be the favorite, regardless of what Vegas or anybody else is saying? Uh, I'm not sure that he should be the favorite after this, but I think that it should help him. I mean, if they've got a, a great relationship, I'm sure Dan thinks very highly of him. And I think that that helps his candidacy for sure, because Dan Morgan has, uh, you know, very, very good knowledge of his workings, how he thinks his work ethic, how he would be around the guys, because that to me is where the former player comes in to where he could look at guys and assess, yeah, he would work with guys, or yeah, this guy wouldn't work 
uh, with players as well. And so I think that helps with his discernment of coaches and what he thinks will work for a locker room full of guys. So I, I see, too, that a lot of people would still like to have Mike Vrabel and just complete the starting middle linebacker tandem from the 2003 that Super they would, Bowl. Yeah. And so if Mike Vrabel still being available, maybe Jim Harbaugh goes to the Chargers, Bill Belichick goes to the Atlanta Falcons. Gerard Mayo got promoted immediately. I know everybody had Vrabel going to New England to be the successor of one Bill Belichick, but that's not happening anymore. Yeah, plus they said that was in his contract. Yeah, well, and that's something that we didn't know at the time, but so now here's Gerard Mayo being promoted. Vrabel's still out there as somebody that's been to the postseason a few times, like consecutively with Tennessee, despite your best quarterback being Ryan Tannehill. It's impressive, right? So maybe Vrabel should be that guy. Mike Lombardi who was all over the Frank Reich stuff last offseason. Here he is talking about how the Panthers should be all over Mike Vrabel. Is Vrabel potentially going to be just kind of left out in these musical chairs? Like, is there a chance that he, I mean, it sounds like Carolina's almost maybe the only position where they don't know what they're going to do yet. Is it possible that Vrabel is, doesn't have a head coaching job this next year? If I were David Tepper, I would be all over him. He's exactly what their organization needs. He's a commander. They need somebody to come in there. They, you know, you, we've all read those articles about how much infighting there is in Carolina. Nobody's on the same page. They, they you know, everybody thinks they report to the owner. They talk about, you know, the, the, the dysfunction that goes within the building and they have no toughness. The fans are impatient. I, I would think he makes a lot of sense for a lot of teams. So, I mean, right now through this cycle, you guys have heard it. I mean, Carolina looks like the lost shepherd. They, they don't have a vision or a plan. They don't know where they're going. And it starts with the owners not sure. We've heard that so much about Carolina. They have a terrible reputation right now. Mm-hmm. And it's been earned. It's absolutely been earned. Watching NFL Live, they're talking about Pete Carroll being a culture builder. If you are tabbed as a culture builder, then you're a perfect fit for Carolina because they ain't got none down there in Charlotte. You hear it all the time. Yep. And I'm not even saying that I dispute that. I like, I want to be in on the fun offensive minds too. I want to have nice things. I want to have fun plays. I want to have play action. I want motion. I would love to have all of that. But now we just got to get our culture right, according to a lot of national NFL pundits, because it's so terrible. Now, to Mike Lombardi's point, all of the indecision-making, all of the diversity of the minds that was being preached by Frank Reich and David Tepper by forcing him to hire some of these guys, it didn't go so well, but you're hoping, not saying it's completely out, but you're hoping that that leaves when you fire Frank Reich. And that leaves when Chris Tabor and others decide that Josh McCown doesn't need to be here, here anymore and Deuce Staley doesn't need to be here anymore. You hope that everybody's on the same page. So maybe that just fixes itself regardless of who you hire. But I will say the things that we don't know about a Canales or a Frank Smith or name offensive coordinator X, we haven't seen them become a head coach. And that is a daunting responsibility. We've seen Vrabel be very good at it and also marry some of the advanced metrics into football guy stuff, which everybody likes. Clearly, the alpha mentality that everyone wants can rally the players. I would be happy with Vrabel. I like the idea of an offensive mind more, but I like the idea of Vrabel. It just doesn't seem they're looking that way, Wes, and they're looking more towards the OC. Yeah, and that's another candidate that's been sitting there. And if they really, really wanted him to be the coach, they would have gone out and uh, gotten him by now. But I do think 
from a coaching perspective, all of the things that they say about him being a commander and what he could bring to the table, it definitely works. And again, you talked about them winning, uh, you know, with Ryan Tannehill and the, he did a great job for them during the regular season. It was the playoffs where he just really imploded. And so you feel like that Vrabel's a guy that can more than likely run the type of system to get the most uh, out of his quarterback. And so we talked about other things he could bring. Maybe a Derrick Henry comes here uh, with him if that's the case. But other than that, uh, I think that if they really wanted Rabel, he would have been named the head coach by now. Yeah, you. so you're saying it's basically Ben Johnson the way that I'm I'm picking yeah, up on what you want. Yeah, because, I mean, if there are guys out there that are there to be had, and you, if that was the guy you really, really wanted, Okay, you know I love the relationship analogies, okay? If it's that girl out there that you really, really want and she's single, are you just going to let her just hang out, especially if she's great looking and you know other guys want to get with her? You're going to just let her hang out and not say anything to her and not be like, hey, I'm, I'm going to make you mine before it gets too late. Yeah, because it's I, college basketball season, Wes. See you, <laughs> see you in April. Yeah, so that's, that's the thing with the Panthers. If you wanted one of these candidates that are sitting there, if they were your top guy on the board and you said we cannot – not hire this guy as a coach, then you go out and get him now. Wes, I don't know how you operate, man, but that's a big old decision to make, and I understand gathering as much information as you possibly can before doing the whole commitment thing. Like, if we want to continue this relationship comparison, then don't you have to understand everything possible before you do the whole commitment thing? All right, well, let's just think about it this way. All right, let's say Andy Reid just decided, you know, after this season's over, where he just said, I want to leave Kansas City, but I still want to coach. You think the Panthers would leave him? And he said, I wanted to go. If he if he knew that Carolina was a place he wanted to go and Carolina valued him oh. as the guy, you think they're just going to let him sit there for weeks and weeks and be like, oh, well, we're well, going to do our due diligence. Are you picking a, a multiple-time Super Bowl winner? No, but like, I'm just saying if, if, but if no, there was somebody out there that, that they really, this. really wanted. But no, that matters, though, because yeah. we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Like Vrabel, as you mentioned, when he was fired, he was fired because you didn't get to the postseason. Mm-hmm. Like there is re- – for Andy Reid, hell no. No, you but get but, that guy. But, yeah, I'm just going to there my point of – that guy there. Yeah, I'm just saying if if there was the guy out there that they really wanted that's just sitting there right now to be had, they would have done it. I don't so think no other they, team is doing that. We still have vacancies. Like if, if it's true for Carolina, then it's got to be true but for But then everybody. some of them are waiting on some of these other guys too. The Ravens coaches, Ben Johnson, some of those other guys, they think that they probably have a chance to get that guy or at least they want to see what they're going to do first because they're the top priority for their organization. If it's a guy sitting out there that's on the street right now that's my top priority, I'm going to go sign him right now. What am I waiting for? So then everybody either wants Ben Johnson or the Ravens coordinators. That's yeah, what you're saying. or maybe, uh, I don't know, if somebody wants anybody else from the other staff, Steve Wilkes or something like that. I don't know. But So do you think the Falcons aren't going to get Belichick then? It seems like they're not because he's still sitting out yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, he's been saying. in your building twice. He should have had a deal already. I, I thought Atlanta was going to name Belichick the coach this weekend. I think it's understandable for a lot of candidates to still be out there mm-hmm. and you still go through the interviewing process. And really? Because, I mean, we are, what, three weeks into the coaching cycle and you've had two vacancies filled and one of them was in-house with Antonio Pierce? Look, it, look. It, it does feel like this coaching cycle is taking longer to be – completed in, in years past. Because it's good. Because you have a lot of really good names. Well, yeah. The, the, you got Harbaugh and Belichick. The, the problem with Carolina being all in on Ben Johnson isn't that he's the wrong guy to be all in on. It's what if you yeah. what, it's what if you swing and miss. Right. 
and there's a very good chance you're going to swing and miss. The guy told you no last year. Why is that going to tell you no this year? Let's continue that conversation. We can continue to dive. Let's hear from you. 704-570-9610. We'll continue the Panthers coaching search conversation. It's the live wire at 2 o'clock, and then it's Nakias Duncan at 2.20, breaking down the Terry Rozier trade. All still to come. Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Welcome back to Wesson Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We still got some people writing about why aren't the Panthers interested in Bill Belichick. I think the question we have to ask is, is Bill Belichick really all that interested in Carolina too, right? Yeah, Harbaugh's trying to catch Don Shula, man. I don't know if he wants to come here and not have... Belichick is trying to catch Don Shula. Belichick, yes. I don't know if he wants to come here and have to take multiple seasons to do that. Yeah, it would take a while, right? (laughs) He's got to get, I think, I think he's 15 wins behind Shula. Yeah, he is. But, you know, everyone talks about you know, him and Brady. If, 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 if Bill Belichick were to come to Carolina and rebuild the Panthers and win a Super Bowl, wouldn't his legacy surpass Brady's? Because Brady went to a ready-made team. They just needed a quarterback that wasn't going to throw, throw 30 interceptions. And oh, give I you, like this take. I like this take. And give you weird pregame hype conversations like Jameis Winston like if Belichick goes somewhere where you got to rebuild and you rebuild in three years and you win a Super Bowl I think his legacy at that point would surpass Brady's what about even with Atlanta oh yes for me it's me same thing like that I don't know if he goes to the Chargers does his legacy surpass uh, Brady's I don't know because you've got a top 8 to 10 12 quarterback in football it's probably the same right yeah yeah but it is a perennial losing organization it is so it's weird. I, 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 this is his time. Now, the only problem is Brady does not have the failure such as Bill Belichick has for that certain window that he wasn't able to make the postseason in New England. And that's what Tom Brady does not have. But he did go to a ready-made team in Tampa that was a quarterback away. He was the QB and they're ready to win a Super Bowl. If Bill Belichick goes to Atlanta, Carolina's got a lot of problems. Atlanta has a big old QB problem. But if they're able to fix that then maybe I like Fiddy vaulting Bill Belichick above Tom Brady in the legacy conversation. Yeah, Kirk Cousins said, too, that he was open, uh, reportedly said he was open to playing for Belichick. So, I mean, they could be able to to get it. I, I heard, though, that they said he doesn't have a good relationship with Rich McKay, and that's why that deal hasn't happened yet. Bill Belichick is yeah. what you're saying. Well, we'll see where he goes then. Would you be Would you be more scared of Kirk Cousins in Atlanta or Justin Fields in Atlanta? If you're a Panthers fan. Oh, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is a surgeon as far as just playing from the pocket with those weapons. Kirk Cousins is going to get the football out quick. Um, I'm not the guy that's going to put everything at his feet for playoff failures. He definitely deserves some of the heat that they get. No question. You're the quarterback. You're going to get credit for the wins and the losses. But when you talk about the weapons that they have down there with that offensive line and Kirk Cousins is still, you know, he's got better mobility than people give him credit for. Yeah, man. Oh, he, I don't he, think that. He, Kirk can't. I think he's got better than people give him credit for as far as now? being able to avoid sacks and play in the pocket, his pocket presence. All right, pocket That's presence. That's a part of mobility, too. I know, but yeah. Kirk Cousins is a statue. It's better than people think it is, though. He well, can get himself out of low. trouble. I think it's pretty damn low. I'm just saying he can get himself <laughs> out of trouble. It's, it's, it's right. Fields, though, like that is different. And I think you're right, especially this year. Kirk Cousins this year compared to Justin Fields. Yeah, man. And I know I've had my criticisms of Kirk, but – 
Kirk can sling the football. Like I, I do think Kirk in Atlanta would be a lot better. Now it's all about the how long do you think that Kirk Cousins is going to be good, like for the long term? Because Justin Fields did have a nice finish to the season. Fitty, it seems like you've been wrestling with that idea more than West did. You know, in the short term, yeah, I think the easy answer, like a one-off, would be Kirk. The long term, Fields is younger, and look, I'm not a Justin Fields guy. I I I, I never saw the potential of him being that dude at the NFL level. Mm-hmm. You go back to his last six games to end the regular season. And he had a legitimate number one in DJ Moore. That guy was playing as good a football as any quarterback in the NFC. And you look at all the weapons at his disposal in Atlanta with the right coaching, you could get the value of him being the former, what, number eight overall pick in the NFL draft? Well, the, the fun part about Fields is that they're so fast all over the place, and that's got to be the most athletic team skill position wise in the in the game right they'd like, be like your red zone team where every sunday that's the team you want to watch play football because they're going to score 30 so if you go atlanta then you have drake london the first round receiver kyle pitts who i mean even more so than vernon davis who's all-time alien stuff is the most athletic tight end we've ever seen and then justin fields goes down there that's that's what's interesting about atlanta who are you more scared of that's what's interesting. What about Tampa losing Dave Canales and bringing Baker Mayfield back? Are they that scary anymore? What do you think, Wes? Uh, yeah, I still think so. I mean, until we see Baker Mayfield fail without Dave Canales, then, you know, we don't know. I mean, they can still bring in a guy that's still going to be able to do what he does. I think Baker's confidence is back uh, 100%. And so I think that he's back to being the player that people thought he was going to be coming out in the draft. And so, yeah, I, I don't – it will matter, but I don't think it will matter that much. So you're saying Baker's still in Tampa, but Dave Canales no in Tampa. Right, right. Maybe Dave Canales here. Yeah. Um, I would say – I want to say yes because I like edgy Baker, but I'll say no because if you look at his career, he's good one year, bad the next. That's why Cleveland didn't want to invest in him. He flopped here in Carolina, and then he was resurgent in Tampa Bay. So if you go off his career – History will tell you that 2024 won't be a good year for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I, I do wonder, too. Like, it, it feels like Tampa is in the situation where they have a defensive-minded coach, and now what Todd Bowles is tasked with doing is hiring the right guy every single time. It's so damn hard. It's, it's hard, and it doesn't mean that you can't win with defensive minds. You just have to have such a strong structure in place. And then if you miss out on the next hire, then sorry. <laughs> then you're going to have a bad year until you get that hire right the next time. So Dave Canales, right hire. He moves on after one season. That's the thing. It can happen so quickly. You might even sign up for that constantly if you had to make a different hire every two years. If your guy wasn't ever really going to leave because teams were scared of hiring just a one-and-done type of successful season. But we know they don't. That doesn't matter. Joe Brady was in the league for one season with Teddy Bridgewater as his QB and got seven head coaching interviews. Now, he came back to Carolina, but if those interviews go a little bit better, then you even lose just one guy who comes from the college ranks. Teams are so – they want to get out in front of this thing so badly that they will pick that guy from your roster, Canales-style – Tried to with Ben Johnson, but Ben Johnson turned down everybody else and said, no, I'm going back. And even Bobby Slowick style, like it happens all over the place. You think Carolina should interview Joe Brady for the head coaching job? I mean, you look at what he did with that offense and he wasn't his play calling wasn't bad on Sunday. Could you imagine if he got hired as the head coach? Matt Rule would be on a recruiting trail somewhere in the middle of Nebraska taking credit. 704-980. Let's go. (laughs) Fitty on this radio show today. 
has tried to bring back Marty Herney <laughs> and Joe Brady. Do you, should we go after John Fox after the Lions? Their run is done. Punch a good play. That's what I'm asking you. Uh, I never thought Joe Brady was a huge problem here in Carolina. And I was, I was outside of his red zone. I stuff. was always singled out for that. Like I get it. I, it doesn't mean that I was right or wrong with the success that he's having in Buffalo. I just know the most impressive year offensively that we've had in Carolina outside of what cam was doing was Teddy Bridgewater and four guys reaching a thousand yards of total offense. Mike Davis. What a great year. Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. Other than that, it's been a struggle, and it's not like that offensive line was amazing either, by the way. And who was the OC that they fired in Buffalo to to, to promote Joe Brady? The other Panther. Katie yep. and Dorsey. Ken Dorsey. And remember how hot his name was? Was it last coaching cycle? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Got an interview. Got like, an interview. It's just so crazy, man, where you're mm-hmm. like, you know, me in church league, hot one day and not hot the next. Uh, you, you never had any cold days in church league, did you? I did in softball when I struck out four times. Yeah, that's amazing. Honestly, that is terrible. All right, we need to think about that and talk about it on the other side of the break and maybe mix in a little bit of the live wire with the guy that struck out four times in a softball game. That's coming up next. One more hour to go on Wesson Walker.